have your Bibles or perhaps an electronic device, you are welcome to turn to Colossians 1, it's verses 5b through 8. I'm reading from the ESV version. Colossians 1, verses 5b through 8. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also those among you since the days you have heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's welcome our tea. I long that all of us will pray daily for the success of the gospel. Amen. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. May this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Come, Thou Almighty Word, gird on Thy mighty sword. Our prayer attend. Come and Thy people bless and give Thy Word success. Spirit of Holiness on us descend. These words from Charles Wesley. Come, and thy people bless, and give thy word success. The word success means that what you tried to do, you achieve. It is achieving something that you tried to do. For example, if I try to lead a person to Christ and that person prays to receive the Lord, I was successful. And so the success of the gospel means that God will become famous in the area. Now, some of you will recall that Louise and I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I think you should do that. And in the Lord's Prayer, it starts out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you realize what you're asking for when you pray, hallowed be your name? You are praying that God, His name, will be revered throughout the world. Back in the 1960s, Ringo Starr 
one of the Beatles, boasted, we're more popular than Jesus. Sadly, he was right. And all of us should long for the day that the God of the Bible will be famous, that God's name will be revered in the whole world. And all of us should be jealous for the success of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards said that one thing the devil cannot produce in us is a love for the glory of God. That means, it's another way of saying, if you long for the success of the gospel, only God could give you a desire like that. You know, sometimes there's such a rivalry in the church that we only want the church that we like best to be successful. If, it's, if we're non-Anglican, um, then we, we want our church to succeed. Uh, we wouldn't want a, an Anglican church to succeed if, if we're like some. Or maybe you know the story about the Baptists and the Methodists in Alabama years ago. Now, you know, in America, we hastily use the term revival. We call it revival. If, if two or three days together you preach or a week, we call it revival. Uh, your word is mission, which is a safer term. But uh, once uh, there was a Methodist church and a Baptist church, and they were across the street from each other and holding revivals at the same time. A couple weeks later, the Methodists were heard to say, well, we didn't have much of a revival, but thank God the Baptists didn't either. <laughs> well, no, that's the kind of rivalry that you have. And you know, the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, would you believe there were people who didn't like Paul, were kind of glad he was in prison. Imagine that. And here's what Paul said. He said, there were some that preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Imagine that there were people like that. But Paul says, what does it matter? This is what matters, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I will rejoice. And if we have a love for the glory of God, we would want to see the success of the gospel, whatever church does it. Well, now, this means that you rejoice over anybody who has been converted. You love to hear the gospel penetrating any nation. So here's what Paul said. You have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing. Nothing can be nor more thrilling than this. Three things I want us to see today. The first, sharing the gospel. Are you aware of this, that any conversion can be traced to its origin by knowing someone shared the gospel. Here's what Paul said, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, what is your definition of preaching? Do you think that the only person that can preach is someone uh, like myself or Simon or Colin standing behind this pulpit? That's what preaching is? Do you know preaching is really just sharing the gospel? It doesn't need to be by somebody that's a, a professional preacher. And what we know is that this church in Colossae, not founded by Paul, Paul never went to there. He never went there. But somebody by the name of Epaphras, and the fact that there is a church being founded in that town, Colossae, was owing to a man by the name of Epaphras. And who is he? Who is this man? He was not an apostle. He was not a bishop. He was not a pastor. You know who he was? All of us. That's, that's your name. Uh, what's your name? What's, what's your name? You. What? Trahaz. Wrong. Your name is Epaphras. <laughs> what's your name? No, it's Epaphras. What's your name, sir? Good. He got it right. <laughs> that was a test. Exactly. Somebody that no one ever heard of started a church. You never know what you will do when you just give a tract or talk to someone about Jesus. I wonder if anybody here has ever heard the name Frank Jenner. Anybody here? Okay, let me tell you who Frank Jenner is. The story begins this way. A number of years ago, church in Bournemouth, Lansdowne Baptist Church, the pastor's name was uh, Francis Dixon. Now, Francis Dixon said to a man that he'd met by the name of Peter Culver, how did you become a Christian? How were you converted? Oh, he said, interesting that you'd ask. I was in Sydney, Australia, a number of years ago, walking down George Street in Sydney, and an eccentric man came up to me and said, if you died within 24 hours, where would you spend eternity, in heaven or hell? And there's no other choice. So that man doesn't know it, but I was convicted, and I got saved. Well, Francis Dixon happened to hear, a week or two later, a similar story, asking a person, how did you become a Christian? He replied, interesting that you would ask, I was in Sydney, Australia, in George Street. An eccentric man came up to me and said, if you died within 24 hours, where would you spend eternity, heaven or hell, and there's no other choice? Well, Francis Dixon thought, what a coincidence. He began to talk to other people. It turned out a person who became a missionary 
They asked him, how did you convert, get converted? He said, I was in George Street in Sydney, Australia. An eccentric man came up to me and said, if you died within 24 hours, where would you spend eternity? In heaven or hell, and there's no other choice. And he said, that's the reason I'm on the mission field today. Turned out that they found others, one being a general in the military, often very important people. So Francis Dixon is going to be in Sydney, Australia. I don't know for what reason, maybe on holiday, but he wanted while he was there to find that man. And he went to George Street, but he couldn't find him. He began to ask everybody he could meet him. He finally came up with someone and said, oh, I know who you mean. It's a Frank Jenner. He was a sailor. He was in the Australian Navy. Turns out later that uh, Frank uh, Jenner himself was converted by listening to an exclusive brethren preacher in the streets. And that's how he got saved. So he decided that he would just do this in George Street, what I just told you. Well, Francis Dixon finally got his address, goes to this house, and an old man with Parkinson's disease, not able to go back to George Street, comes to the door. He says, are you Frank Jenner? He said, yes. Are you the one that was out in the street, in George Street, talking to people about Jesus? He said, I'm the man. Francis Dixon said, do you realize how many have been converted through you? And Francis Dixon began to tell him the stories I've just told you. And the old man broke down and wept. He said, I did that for 28 years. They reckon he had witnessed to over 100,000. He said, I didn't know to this minute that I did any good. That's often the case. At Westminster Chapel, we had our pilot light ministry. And that's the result of my inviting Arthur Blessed to Westminster Chapel. A few weeks after I became the minister there, I actually put this question to the members of Westminster Chapel. How many of you have never led a soul to Jesus Christ? Well, after the service, a man by the name of Bob George, interesting, the same name as George Street, said to me, I felt so ashamed today, Dr. Kendall. Here I am, 60 years old, and I've never led a soul to Christ. Well, three or four years later, Arthur Blessed comes to Westminster Chapel, and of all things, it gets me out on the streets. I felt offended that I should have to do that because I thought, I'm doing my bit by preaching the gospel like I'm doing now. Why should I have to go out in the streets? But Arthur persuaded me it's what I should do, and I was convicted, and it was a wake-up call. I would hate to think I would hate to think where I would be today if I had not listened to Arthur Blessed. I want you to know something. It's easier to do what I'm doing now than going up to a stranger in Holland Park Avenue 
and asking them, do you know if you were to die within 24 hours, whether you would go to heaven or hell? As a matter of fact, the hardest thing in the world is not standing before several hundred, but going up to a complete stranger. Someone asked Arthur Blessed this question. He said, Arthur, why is it that God seems to talk to you all the time, but he doesn't talk to me? And Arthur said, can I ask you a question? Have you ever had an impulse to talk to somebody about Jesus that you didn't know? The person replied, well, as a matter of fact, I have. Arthur said, start obeying that impulse and that voice will get clearer and clearer and clearer. Would you like some information on how to get on the good side of God? Anybody here want to be on the good side of God? It's not having a 40-day fast. It's talking to people about Jesus Christ. You see, when you do that, you get on the side of the reason God sent his son into the world to die on a cross. John 3.16, which Martin Luther called the Bible in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him should not perish. That means not go to hell, but have everlasting life. You know, I put the question, how many of you have never led a soul to Christ? I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have never talked to another person about Jesus Christ? There was this lady in Los Angeles, Christian, who had the belief that you shouldn't talk to people about Jesus, that your life will show. And this was her conviction. You don't need to talk to them. Let them see your life, and they will just want what you've got. Well, this lady worked in this office for 13 years, and one day someone said to her, you know what, I've been watching you. You're different. You are different. And this woman says to herself, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's worth all these years. And then... They asked her, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> when Arthur got us out on the streets, we started our pilot light ministry. Who do you suppose the first person to join us? It's Bob George. Oh, he loved doing that. Week after week after week, the last 20 years I was there, before he died, I said, Mr. George, how many people do you reckon you won to the Lord? He said, well, it's actually over 500. Well, some cynic will say, well, how many of them are really saved? Well, maybe not all were, but some of them were. One of them went into the Anglican ministry. You guess you have to be saved to become an Anglican minister. You see, when you talk to people about Jesus... You don't know how God is going to step in. Holy Spirit work. If you listen to the way Arthur Blessed himself talked to people, 
you know, we that are so theologically refined would pick him to pieces. But I reckon when we get to heaven, here's the prediction. I'm making a prediction. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out there have been more people saved on a one-to-one -one basis by Arthur Blessed than any human being. He makes his way through the Darien jungle in the north part of South America, comes into Colombia. A woman comes up running, Arthur, I've been looking for you for years. He said, who are you? Well, at your coffee house in Sunset Strip, you prayed with me to receive Jesus. I went right to the phone and said, Mom, I'm coming home. She said, I become a missionary here in South America. You're the one that led me. But Arthur's done that to thousands and thousands and thousands. As for our pilot light ministry, we never knew what good we were doing. You know, there would be people to pray to receive the Lord, but we would just forget about them and think, well, what more can we do? A few months after I retired from Westminster, got a letter from Germany. The lady said, it was the last week I was in London. I was always out on the streets every Saturday. Said, you gave me a tract in German. Went back to Hamburg. We've been praying for my father for years. Gave him the tract. He was saved. Died the next day. When you get involved in talking to the lost about Jesus, you get God's attention. I wonder if you're aware of this. And so sharing the gospel. And I want to say this. If you ever get into any kind of a controversy, any type of squabble, just hope it has something to do with the fact that you were trying to get the gospel out. The greatest trial that I ever went through in my lifetime was at Westminster Chapel when, after Arthur Blessed came, we tried to get more people saved, and half the church turned against me, half the deacons turned against me. They nearly threw me out. Fortunately, the church decided to get rid of those deacons that were against me, and we, we survived. But it was all over this. You see, the devil does not want you to talk about Jesus. I'm saying I want to make God famous. And it will happen, and you think, well, who am I? Listen, if you don't know how to say it, give them a tract, and just don't be ashamed, because when you stand before God, prediction, you stand before God, I'll guarantee you will never regret having talked to anybody. Why would you not talk about it? Are you ashamed? Is it embarrassing to you? Listen to me, Kensington Temple. I'm a part of you. I'm one of you. If we are going to grow, it won't be because we have the best worship group, and this is a good one, or singing like we heard today, or Colin Dye preaching, or Simon Foster, or if you could get Billy Graham. It won't be that. It'll do it because you do it and show that you're not ashamed. And if you don't convert them on the streets, then get them in here to hear the gospel. 
This is the way God wants us to grow. And so that's what I mean by sharing the gospel. But second, let's talk about stages of the gospel. Here is what Paul says to the Colossians in verse 6. This word of truth you have heard. I wonder if you picked up that word. Heard the honor of hearing the gospel. Do you realize there are tens of millions that haven't even heard? They've never heard. But then there are millions who have heard, but yet they haven't heard. What's that mean? Well, there's two kinds of hearing. There's physical hearing. You can hear the sound of my voice right now. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Well, what's the difference? Well, the many are those who hear the voice, the preacher. But then there are those who hear inwardly. You see, it's one thing to hear with your physical ear, another to hear with your spiritual ear. Few are chosen. And who are those? Well, it's just the way it sounds. They were chosen. You say, doesn't God choose everybody? Well, I wish he did. The Bible says, for whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. You tell me why not all are chosen, but some are. As a matter of fact, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And so there are those who hear outwardly, but it makes no impact on them. But there are those who hear inwardly, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what leads a person to what we call being born again. Do you realize being born again is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit? You cannot make anybody get saved. You, can't, you can twist their arm, argue. It's not until the Holy Spirit works. You see, being born again in the same way that you had nothing to do with your physical birth. Did you give your parents permission to have you? You had nothing to do with it, right? Nothing. You're just born. Same with being born again. It's of the Spirit. When you realize this is something God did. Others heard the same gospel, but they weren't converted. Why? It's the Holy Spirit. This is why the Arthur Blessed's of this world, you see, they just talk to everybody. Some get saved, some don't. God will use this word. And so Jesus said as he closed every parable, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Or as he said from the right hand of God, what the Spirit says to the churches, he that has an ear. Well, think of the honor not only of hearing it, but notice what Paul said, you understood it. You see, the honor of understanding the gospel. You heard it and understood, says Paul, and you learned it from Epaphras. What does it mean then by understanding? Well, you know the British expression, when the penny drops. Or we would say in America, when you get it. it suddenly, ah, oh, I got it. I know what you mean now. Well, many hear it, but not all understand. 
And it shows the importance of reaching both the mind and the heart. And so even after Jesus was raised from the dead, are you aware that the disciples did not know why he died or why he was raised from the dead? I wonder if you ever thought this. You know, there's an old uh, spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I have to tell you, you could have been there. You could have been there and not known what was going on. As a matter of fact, the people who saw him raised from the dead over a period of 40 days did not know why he died or why he was raised. You say, well, surely if they saw him raised from the dead, they'd get it. No, they didn't. They didn't. You know why? They still thought that the reason Jesus came was to overthrow Rome and restore Israel to its former greatness, like in the days of David and Solomon. That's what they lived for. And they thought the whole time, now that he was raised from the dead, he's going to do it. He's going to overthrow Rome. They didn't get it. It was not until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and they got it, and Peter saw for the first time why Jesus died and why he was raised from the dead. You see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So that makes the difference. But then it's so interesting. Did you notice this phrase? He says, Epaphras came and told us about your love in the Spirit. I want to pause about that. Love in the Spirit. What is it? Love in the Spirit. Well, first of all, there are three Greek words translate love. There's philia, that's brotherly love. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's not the Greek word used here. There's the Greek word eros. We all know about eros, physical, sexual, sensual love. Go to Piccadilly, you see the eros stature. That's what everybody's interested in. That's what they talk about. But that's not the word here. It's agape love. The love that motivated God to send his son into the world. Unselfish love. And I'll come right to the point. Non-sexual love. This is what they had at Colossae. Before, love, you see, would be sexual, physical. But they had a higher level now. This is the reason that Christians, men and women, can hug each other. It's, no one's thinking anything sensual. Whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, there's a love in the spirit. Jesus gave that to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene never had a man treated with such respect. Love in the spirit. And you see, this is what needs to happen to the church. That instead of thinking sensually or anything like that, that there's love in the spirit. Do you know when Arthur Blessed came to Westminster Chapel, I had him there to speak to the FIEC. The place was packed from top to bottom, people standing in the aisles. And I introduced Arthur and what do you suppose is the first thing he does? First thing he does, instead of saying how good 
It is to be there. Glad to meet you all. He said, I want everybody to stand and look at the person next to you and give him or her a holy kiss. I went, oh, dear. What have I done? I brought this man. I died a thousand deaths because I knew what the Brits would think. But he got away with it. He got him relaxed. You can sit back down. He went and preached. The thing is, that's what the Bible means by holy kiss. And, and, and Paul was impressed that that had happened to this church. Love in the Spirit. And so he talks about bearing fruit, which is basically three things. One, holy living. Two, upholding the truth. Three, seeing people converted. The holy living, there's a lot that can be said about it, but it includes sexual purity. Sexual purity, it is a part of holy living. I am planning to write a book called Whatever Happened to Holiness. I've written a book called Whatever Happened to the Gospel. I want to write a book, Whatever Happened to Holiness. There's a church in New York City, famous, highly respected, great minister, preached a sermon against premarital sex. He put the sermon on his website, and there was so much criticism, he took it down. See, we're living in a time where people don't want to talk about things. You don't want to lose members. You don't want to chase people off. But this is what Paul is talking about. The gospel bore fruit, holy living, upholding the truth. What's that mean? Well, there is the integrity of the gospel. Why God sent his son into the world. The nature of God. He is just. He is holy. He is merciful. Upholding the truth. Hosea the prophet said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We need to know good, sound doctrine and theology. And if we don't, I'll guarantee you that church will go right down and the honor of God will not be in play at all. If you want the honor of God, holy living, upholding the gospel, sound doctrine, and seeing people converted. We should expect people to be saved Every time the gospel is preached, a young preacher went up to Charles Spurgeon and said, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, you know, I'm a pretty good preacher, but I don't see people converted. Well, Spurgeon says, you don't expect to see somebody saved every time you preach, do you? He said, oh, no, sir. Spurgeon said, that's your problem. There should be an expectancy. But every time we preach, you never know who's out there. All right. We're talking now, thirdly, about success of the gospel. That's what you try to do, you achieve. And this success is at two levels, spiritual and numerical. Spiritual success, changing lives. He talks about the grace of God in truth. And that would be at two levels. You could say intellectual Theological change, because you understand. And third, moral change. 
what I've been talking about, the fruit being holy living. So why this phrase, grace of God in truth? I'll tell you. Here is the ideal if we at KT can achieve this. That is holy living without making it the ground of assurance. Let me explain. In my old age, I now have been able to travel the world, six months even while I'm in uh, London for these six months. Just got back from Korea. I'll be going to Hong Kong. I'll be going to South Africa. When I'm in Nashville, I'll be going back to Israel. I go to Shanghai. My point is, I've got a taste of what the church is like in the world. And when I go to a typical charismatic or Pentecostal church, you know what I find? Wish it weren't true that a high percentage of such people think they get to heaven by being holy, godly. They think that's it. That's not it. You see, that has nothing to do with whether you're saved. You say, well, why live a holy life? I can answer that to say thank you, God. Holiness is saying thank you to God for what he's already given you. He puts you on your honor. And so the wonderful thing is that you know you're saved by the sheer grace of God. Now, I'm not far away from the end of my sermon, but I'm going to introduce two words. Some of you will know them well. Big words, but I'll explain them. Antinomianism and Phariseeism. Antinomianism means lawlessness. It means you don't have to worry about how you live because you're saved by grace. And that's a heresy. Don't go there. There's a teaching in Singapore and Hong Kong. It spread to America. I think it's coming to England. Hyper grace is what they call it. The idea is since Jesus has paid your debt on the cross, you don't need to confess your sins. Why confess your sins? Uh, you don't need forgiveness of sins. That's been dealt with at the cross. And when I heard of that teaching, I thought it's only a matter of time there's going to be wife swapping and all kinds of immorality. And sure enough, one of the most famous churches in America, the pastor started teaching that. And I thought, I can't believe that they would do this because I know the church, I know the background. But he was teaching this grace. You don't need to confess your sins. They're already paid for. Well, the man had an affair. His wife had an affair. He's out of the ministry today, but it always goes back to, you know, what you believe. The knowledge you have. Antinomianism, but the other extreme is Phariseeism, that you think your works get you to heaven. Augustus Toplady, the author of the great hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, said that Jesus is still being crucified between those two thieves. Lawlessness, self-righteousness. But in the middle, what we want at KT is holy living out of gratitude, but knowing that we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, success, spiritual success, changing lives. But then before I close, 
numerical success. You see, numbers do matter. The only time we say they don't matter is when we don't have anybody showing up and we say, well, where there's two or three gathered in my name, <laughs> there is Jesus. But then when you've got numbers, you mention them. 120 in the upper room, 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> have you ever heard the, the, uh, the, the saying that there's no such thing as failure in God's eyes? You've heard that? That's nonsense. It certainly is failure in God's eyes. That's for people who bury their talent and just say, God is sovereign and he can do it. When I was at Westminster Chapel, we had a man that prayed every Sunday night before this evening service this word. Every week, every week. Oh, Lord, bring in thine elect. He believed in predestination. He believed in election. Didn't cross his mind to go out to the streets and bring him in. He wanted God to do it. Bring in thine elect. Bring in thine elect. Arthur Blessed was having a prayer meeting with men in Phoenix, Arizona. And on a Saturday, they had a big circle, 40 men. And they were going to pray for revival. And so, as it happened, Arthur said it went number one, number two, number three. Arthur said he was number seven. And he could see it going around. They're going to be there for another 45 minutes. And he happened to notice across the street was a restaurant. Arthur got up, went over to the restaurant, went inside and did what only Arthur would do. Does anybody here want to be saved? Waitress behind the counter said, I do. He went right to her, presented the gospel, led her to Jesus, and then said, uh, by the way, church across the street. Do you know any of the people there? She said, well, some of them come here after the service on Sunday. Said, any of them talk to you about Jesus? Not so far. Well, has any of them even invited you to that church? Not so far. Arthur goes back, and the prayer changed now over to about number 20. He said, we can stop praying. The revival has come. But you see, it didn't cross their minds to go out and do what God told us to do. Sharing the gospel like Epaphras. And so Paul encourages these Colossians, they're not alone. They are part of something big. And I'll tell you how big John said in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, uh, there was a multitude which no man could number. You see, we are a part of something big. It is huge. And although at the moment we may seem to be in the minority, you realize in London, only 4% attend church of any kind. That includes Jehovah's Witnesses and Catholics, everybody. 4%. If it weren't for Nigerian Christians, it would be probably 3 or not 2%. I just got back from Korea, where in 20, 30 years ago, they had great revival. 20% go to church in Korea. London, 4%. God is saying to us, you're Epaphras. You're an Epaphras. Jill, that's your name. Don't be ashamed, any of you, of the gospel. That's about it. 
But just imagine this when you get to heaven. What if in heaven somebody comes up to you that you don't recognize and they say, I'm here because you shared the gospel with me. Wouldn't that be something? Have that happened to you in heaven? Come and thy people bless and give thy word success. Spirit of holiness on us descend.